You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. So we're talking about what are we searching for? And we talked over the last few weeks that it's really about the love of God. If we don't get the love of God, we get nothing else. We absolutely will not get the gospel. We will not know God. We will not get, we won't get anything. We'll be confused and we'll always be searching unless the love of God is real to us. Make sense? Unless we really, really get it. And so we looked at the love of God over the last few weeks, and now we're going to begin to look at the life that receives and flows out of the love of God over these next few weeks. But this week, we're looking at what does it look like to live a life in Christ? And last week, I kind of gave you a little bit of a preview that we're going to be talking about John 17. But before we look at that verse, um, have you guys ever, like, thought that you knew somebody? Like, you, you pre- or you pretended that you knew somebody really well? Like, just because you're a, a fan of so-and-so on TV, you think you know them. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, yeah, I know Taylor Swift. Yeah, you ever have, like, somebody ask you about a football team that you like, and all of a sudden you begin to talk as if you are, like, the assistant coach of the team? That's what I do all the time. Like, so what's, what's I literally just had it this morning. What's, what's up with the Dolphins? I, I've literally had this all the time where I will say we as if I am part of the Miami Dolphins. Like, we just don't have a good, we don't have a good team right now. We, we're just struggling. Oh, we were awesome this week. We are amazing. I have no relationship to the Miami Dolphins. I've been in Miami once in my life. I don't know any of the team. I, I just don't. But, like, we, begin, we do this. Like, we, we think that we have a relationship somewhere where we really don't. I remember somebody, um, Ash and I kind of joke about this all the time. A couple years ago, this person who was kind of in our a circle of friends, we, we noticed that she would begin to tell people stories about things that we would do together. The problem was, I'm... I'm I didn't do that. And she would say, yeah, I remember when Jesse and I, we went to the Owens Mills Mall and we hung out all day. And she would tell people in front of me this story of us hanging out in the mall. And I'm, I looked at Ash and I'm thinking, when did that ever happen? We, we never went to the mall together. And then literally like a couple months later, she's telling people about a conversation that we had on the phone. And I'm thinking, that conversation found, sounds really familiar. Wait a minute, it wasn't with her. It was with the guy that she was with at the time that I was having that conversation in a completely never part, another part of the state. Like, I'm talking to him, she's overhearing the conversation, and next thing that's being told is we had this conversation together. Like, no, we, we didn't. And sometimes, what I'm saying that is sometimes we kind of do the same thing with God. Like, we kind of heard parts of the story, we kind of have heard about the relationship with God, so that we can tell people about our relationship with God, even in reality, you haven't done any of the things with God that you just said you did with God. Does it make sense? Like, you haven't had any one-on-one time with God. You haven't, you haven't gone to the mall together. You haven't talked together. You haven't done so-and-so, this, this thing together. And so we make up these stories as if we're a part of the Christian family that we are in Christ, even though our relationship is pretty far apart. Even though it's more of just like, I kind of know that person. I kind of know who that person is. Does it make sense? God cannot be somebody that we know about. Our relationship with God, we can't speak out of information. We have to speak out of relationship. And so we started the last few weeks with love. Because if we can't get the love of God, we can never realize the relationship that we're supposed to have with the Father. We will never get that. We will never realize what the relationship is with God until we understand his love and desire for a relationship. We often fool ourselves in thinking that we have this intimate relationship with God. And the truth is, sometimes we just don't. It's all based on word of mouth. It's all based on stories rather than experience. 
God is about experiencing him, not knowing him in a cognitive sense. I can give you a few points. Let me explain. Why is this important for us? Why do I know this to be true? First, number one reason that I know this is true is Jesus prayed it for us. Let's look at John 17. This is where we're going to look at the majority of our our passage today. John 17, we're not going to read every verse in it just for the sake of time, but I encourage you to read this passage. This is right after they have the Last Supper together. This is right after um, Jesus informs them that one would betray him. Uh, that Judas is going out to betray him, that Peter would be, deny him. So John, John gives us this in-depth look at the Last Supper and the conversations, the thing that Jesus teaches his disciples following this meal together. A lot of the other passages in Scripture don't really give us this in-depth look, but John does. And so John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have, who have, to all that you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I want to stop there. What does that mean? That they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we think of this word know, know in the English language can be very confusing. It can be very all-encompassing. But when you actually look at the real word that was originally spoken here by Jesus, it's this word ginosko. And what that literally means is to know a person through direct personal experience implying a continual relationship. It's not a one, once-and-done meet-and-greet. This is a continual relationship. It is important to avoid an expression which will mean merely to learn about. Here, the emphasis must be on the interpersonal relationship which is experienced. That's the definition of the original word that Jesus sp- spoke. He said, eternal life what you've given me to give them eternal life is that they would have intimate, deep, continual knowing and experience of you, God the Father. And they know me and they will know you. That is his prayer for us. Jesus prays that his disciples would intimately know the Father. This is not learning about, this is not scholarly education. This is not, I heard a story once in middle school about a God. This is a continual relationship. Are you guys tracking with me here? I see a lot of blank stares, so either you're really tired or I'm really confusing this morning. I use that word gnosko and everybody's just lost. Gnosko, that sounds delicious. Like a little little Greek Greek snack. It's good. Intimate relationship. How many of you guys are married or, or in a serious, committed Facebook status relationship? <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so um, you guys remember your first date? How awkward is that, right? Your first date is like you spend this like half hour or this hour or two hours or maybe you go mini golfing or something like that. That's, I think that's what we did the first time. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Mini golf and like you out to eat and you're talking like, do you like lasagna? I like lasagna. <laughs> oh, we just get each other. We both like putt putt and lasagna. This must be like, what kind of movies do you like? 
Oh, you don't like any of the same movies? All right, moving on to the next thing. That, that's, that's my wife. What music do you listen to? Country. What? This is done. We're done. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. No, I'm kidding. But like the first date, like you get some basic facts. You have some quick information. You have some quick dialogue. And if I would leave there and assume that I know Ashley because we had one date, that we had this deep knowing of each other, I'm completely delusional. Your first date, how many of you guys have been married for like over a year? Let's just say that. How many of you know, know your spouse way more than you did even on your wedding day now? Like, you're like, I thought I knew you, and now I know you. <laughs> like, like, now I know you. Like, to really know somebody is a continual experience. It's not a learning about. Make sense? This, this week, uh, yesterday, we were in New York City. I was visiting a friend from, who flew in from California, and we were hanging out there, and we took the girls along. So it was their first time in, Cal- in, in New York City. And uh, just hilarious. Take, two, take a four- and a six-year-old to New York City. Everything is just epic. It's like they saw a bus that was double-decker, and, like, it blew their minds. Like, we want to ride that. No, no, you don't want to ride that. Um, not right now. It costs too much. But we, we go and we're having lunch out in the, in the city. There's like this place where they have like all these little vendors set up and some tables. And we're sitting there and uh, Ash was going to find food. And I'm sitting there with the girls. And there's this big sculpture of the, of the man sitting, like a big bald guy, like Benjamin Franklin looking guy, right? Sitting there at the end, like close to our table. And he's got this big bird on his head, so it kind of felt bad for the statue, which is ridiculous. It's a statue. But, like, there's this bird just, like, walking around on his head. And Haley sees this, and she's like, Dad, is that Abraham Lincoln? And I thought, she knows who Abraham Lincoln is. And then I'm like, no, that guy's name says Gustav something. I have no idea who that guy is. But I said, no, it's not. She's like, well, that's what Abraham Lincoln looks like. I'm like, just because he's a bronze statue and he's old looking with crazy clothes does not mean it's Abraham Lincoln. And I'm telling you this because this is, to me, when I heard that and I was thinking about it and praying about this message, like that is the paradigm of most Christians. We have this idea because we heard stories of what God's like. Like he's kind of old, he's kind of wrathful, he's kind of loving at the same time. Like, so this is what he looks like. In reality, we're looking at Gustav so-and-so thinking it's Abraham Lincoln. Like, when, when Christ prays for us, I desire that they know you. This is eternal life, that they would know you. He's saying, I don't want you to be informed about Abraham Lincoln. I don't want you to be informed that God is a God of the old covenant, and there's a new covenant, and there's all these historical facts. He, he says, I want them to really, really experience your presence every day to walk with you, to know your heart, to know what grieves you. I know the things that anger my wife. I know the things that delight my wife because I've spent time with her. I know what kind of, like, don't give her any soda other than Coke. And if you give her a Coke, it better come out of the fountain fresh, like a fountain of Coke. A bottle, yes, only if she's the one opening it. After about four or five sips, she's done with it. She's discarded that Coke completely. Like, I know that because I've spent time with my wife. If you just have a quick meet and greet, you don't know these details. And, and Jesus says, I want you to know the heart of the Father. I want you to have intimate relationship with him. Are you guys tracking with me so far? This is not a first date I learned about God in Sunday school type thing. This is not the felt board Christianity. This is much more than that, an experience. 
Let me tell you why belief in God is not enough. Belief in Jesus as a real thing or a real person or existing is not enough. It's not eternal life. Why can I say that and know 100% confidently that's not true? Because the Bible says that even the demons know God. Even they know who he is. Even they know scripture. So to know historically the information in the book, to know that Jesus, and believe that Jesus was real, is not eternal life. Because the demons do the exact same thing. They know the information that's in here. They know what he did, where he did it. That's not eternal life. Jesus prays that we would experience real life. Let me, let me keep reading here. Verse 9, we'll pick up there. And this is a lot of words here, and I I want you to track with me if you can. Verse 9, I am praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas there. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I concentrate, consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's talking about you and I. He's saying, I'm not asking for this just for the disciples, but for everybody who believes because of their testimony. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, who you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me from the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's Jesus' last prayer for us. That's what he prays for us. Before he goes to the garden, that's the proclamation that he says at the end of the Last Supper. We see in the next chapter, they go to the garden, and he prays there. But this is what he proclaims for us, that we would know the Father. That he would be in us. Verse 22. We'll look at a few of these verses. Verse 22 says, 
the glory that you have given them, or given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. We have to know, because he loves us, track with me, if we're searching for something real, for, for what it's all about, we find our ultimate joy and our ultimate delight in him. We have to first know that he loves us. And because he's able to love us, because he's able to see us through the cross, he has given us the glory that's on Jesus. God is a God full of glory. He's holy and he's putting, he wants that glory in us. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Think about that for a second. The glory of God revealed and displayed in us. The glory of Christ, the glory that God put in Christ, he wants in us so that the world would see him. That's what we are called to be. That's the relationship with the Father that you and I get to have. The glory of God, the eternal creator of everything, he wants to display in us. This is like, to me, this is life-changing. God's glory in us. The very next verse, 23 I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them as you love me. He says, the Father, God the Father in Christ, and that Christ in us. He wants his, his dwelling, his, all that he is in us. This is what our life is supposed to look like. If I have the fullness of Christ in me, I'm not searching for anything else. I'm not looking for the next thing to satisfy my little tiny desires, my little kind, kind, tiny wants. I'm not looking for something to make me feel better. I'm not looking for something for me to, to, to satisfy me a little bit more. I have the fullness of Christ, the Father in Christ in me, dwelling in me. There's nothing else I can want. It's everything the glory of the father in me this is what it is to know him to know his love to experience his love and dwell in his love to realize that he is living inside of me his glory and his presence in us verse 26 i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and i in them think about this for a second What would it look like? Okay, so we clearly see that Jesus is a guy who walked around with no insecurities, correct? He, he just walked around knowing the love of the Father for him. He, he followed the will of God perfectly. He was God among us, and he knew the Father's love for him. There was no doubt. There was no wondering. I wonder if the Father loves me today. He knew it every day. And what, he pray, what Jesus prays for us is that you and I would experience the love of the Father the same way he experienced the love of the Father. That we would walk around every day not wondering if God's forsaken us or doesn't love us enough, but we would literally experience every day his eternal, perfect love that casts out all fear, that gets rid of all guilt, all shame, all insecurities, all anxieties, all whatever. We would walk around knowing the love of the Father the same way he knew the love of the Father. There's no doubt in that. That's Jesus' prayer for you and I. We can't get that from some kind of factual just education. It's a complete rebirth. I'll talk about that in a minute. So I, I said, how do I know that Jesus wants to, God wants us to experience him? Number one, Jesus prayed it. Number two, God demonstrated it. 
there was an illustration, there was a demonstration for us. Matthew chapter 27. I'll read this passage quickly. This is after the crucifixion. And I, to me, this is one of the coolest passages in Scripture. I, I say that about a lot of passages because there's a lot of really, really cool ones that strike me. This is one that really, it's pretty awesome. So I hope you find it as well. Awesome. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now at the sixth hour, there was darkness. This is not the cool part, just so you know. (laughs) There was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthian, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine. And he put on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait. Let us see either Elijah will come and save us. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. This is it here. This is the verse I want you to catch. So Christ dies on the cross, and, he, and this is what happened. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of their tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What? What just happened? Jesus is on the cross, he gives up his spirit, and we see the veil of the temple split in half, the earth begins to shake, earthquake everywhere, Graves open up from former saints. They come out of the ground, begin walking around after Jesus' resurrection. They walk around and begin to testify about who Jesus is. This is a crazy walking dead experience. This is what just happened. And I think sometimes in the reading of these verses together, we get stuck on like, wait, dead people came out of the ground, started walking around talking about Jesus. He brought them back. What, what, what? I don't really see much of that anywhere else. Like, could you please give me an explanation of this Jesus? What does that look like? I, I don't find that. But here's what I can give you an explanation of. The veil being split in two. God's presence to them, to the Jewish mind, lived in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. So you would have these outer courts, this inner court. You would have the Holy of Holies. And the only person who would go into where the Holy of Holies was, was the head priest once a year. He was the only one who could experience where God physically would dwell among us. Where God's entire being, somehow he would come and dwell in this one room behind a thick curtain. This is not like, you know, going to the Holiday Inn curtains, like you got to have six of them to, to close the window. This is like a real curtain that housed the presence of God. And if you were the priest and you would go in there once a year, if you weren't holy enough and you died, they would pull you out by a rope. They had a rope on your leg when you go in. The moment Jesus gave up his spirit, the moment he died for you and I, that curtain was split in half so that we can go into the presence of God every day. He demonstrated it for us. So we we walk around sometimes in this Christianity that, that our culture has this idea of is so religious. Like if I do these things, God loves me. If I do all these moral works, then I go to heaven, blah, blah, blah. And we miss the point that it's always been about intimacy. It's always been about experiencing his presence every day. That's why he split the curtain so that you and I could see, no, there's no longer a place where God is hiding in a room. It's we have access to him all the time because of Christ. This is exciting stuff this morning. That's why I love that passage. Anna's got dead people raising back to, and walking around and talking about Jesus. That's just cool. Number three, 
So one, Jesus prayed it. Two, God demonstrated it. Three, I'm telling you, he always wanted it. He always wanted it. How can I say that? Look at the garden, the beginning. God walked with them. It was sin that separated us from him. That was his plan day one. You have the presence of God on the earth. You experience God walking. It says walking together in the cool of the the day. I don't know what that means, but that sounds awesome. Walking with God, taking long walks through the garden together. That's pretty awesome. God demonstrated it to us in Genesis. He demonstrated it to us at Mount Sinai. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that God wanted them to be a, a priesthood. A nation where they could all have access to God. And instead they were afraid. They didn't know him. And they said, Moses, you go talk to God for us. You go have access. We'll, we'll take a law. We'll take some commandments. We'll take a list of rules because we don't want the access. We're too afraid of it. So you have it in the garden. You have it demonstrated at Sinai. You have it even in the ark. God says, I want my presence among you. So I will put who I am in a golden box and be in your presence all the time. And everything that you do will center around that. You're, when you set up camp, your entire, all your tribes will be around who I am. So that I will always be amongst you. Even though you don't want me, you're afraid of me, I still want to be in the middle of you. You guys, you guys following what the, the, the precedent has been set. The example has been set that he's always desired intimate relationship and his presence everywhere we go. That's always been his plan. This is Jesus to Nicodemus. When, G- when Nicodemus comes to him and says, what, what do I have to do to have life? What does he say? He says you have to be born again. And that really confuses Nicodemus. Wait, you, you want me to go, my mom's pretty old, and that's kind of weird. I'm kind of big. How does that work? I don't really understand this. And he's like, you're missing it. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. God says, I want you to be born in the spirit. I want you to experience me. We have to recognize that this has always been his desire for us to experience him, but we can't experience him conceptually or physically. Sometimes we, we, being born again is being born to a new perspective in the spirit. We have to see in the spirit. Are you guys, you guys understand what I'm, I just made a, a bit of a jump there. And I want you to understand this. We are, we are, created in Christ to experience his presence in the spiritual realm. We are created to experience more than what we see, what we feel, what we can think up on our own. We are created to enjoy his presence in the spirit. Jesus says that we have to be born of spirit. That's what it is to know him, to have a rebirth, be born again in our spirit so that we can see and live in the spirit. We don't live in the flesh. We don't walk by the flesh. We live by the Spirit. And that's when we can know Him. That's when we can have a relationship with Him. Number four is we got, the only problem is we need to recognize it. He prayed it. He demonstrated it. He's always wanted it. We have to recognize it. Just because he's done all those things to make it available for us, so many of us don't recognize what I just talked about with Nicodemus. We don't recognize the spiritual rebirth that needs to take place in our heart to where we see by the Spirit, where we walk by the Spirit, and we dwell with him. This is, this is because Paul had a rebirth, because Paul was in the Spirit, 
because Paul was living this life by the Spirit, he's able to say this idea of praying without ceasing. You guys heard that verse before, praying without ceasing? You're like, I don't have time to sit in a closet all day and just pray. Like, that's, I can't do anything else. When, when, when do I fit in my eating? When do I, you know, when do I get a shower? That's, that would be a good thing, right? When do I build relationships? Don't you want me to love people? But yet we see this idea of praying without ceasing. It's because he's living in the Spirit. To pray is to commune with the Father, to discuss with the Father. Praying without ceasing isn't, ceasing, ceasing not ceasing, that'd be bad. Praying without, hopefully you pray without ceasing, that'd be, anyway. Praying without ceasing is a constant living in the Spirit, talking to God, letting Him dwell in you, recognizing who you are in Christ, recognizing the love of the Father, that He hears everything that comes out of your heart. He hears every desire. He knows your thought. He knows who you are before you even got a chance to know who He is. God God dated us without us even recognizing He was dating us. And now we get to like, oh yeah, He loved me, and so I love Him back. He's awesome. This is a life being reborn by the Spirit. This is what we need to desire. It's not a, concept, a, a cognitive thing. It's a spiritual thing. I said a few weeks ago about how I was at that conference, and uh, this girl, this like teenage girl, the, they pulled her up on the stage and said, hey, I think you need to share something. And she said something. I was, she, you could tell she was nervous. She didn't really expect to say anything. But she said this. She said, close your eyes. Now imagine your spirit outside of your body. I'm like, okay, this is a little weird, but I did it. And I'm imagining what my spirit would look like outside of my body. And she said, now make it bigger. You are more spirit than you are flesh. That is the, that's truth. That's biblical truth. I can't argue with her. That we are more spirit than we are flesh and bone and body. Does that make, are you guys tracking with me? You are more of a spirit than you are what you see and feel and touch and what you physically take care of. That's who you are. He created us as spirits. We are spiritual beings in fleshly bodies. We have to see through that perspective. We have to understand that there is a spiritual awakening that took place in my heart when, I, when, I, when, when Christ found me and my heart became alive in Christ. I was reborn in the spirit. And now I have to live that way, constantly in communion with the Father, relationship with him. This is where we see renewing of our minds. This is where we see abiding in Christ. This is where we understand walking in love. These concepts don't make any sense if you're doing it by the flesh. You can't renew your mind by the flesh. But the Spirit of God renews our minds. The Spirit of God leads us to walk in love. It also helps us to realize we're not a slave to fear or to sin anymore. If I know who I am in Christ because of the transforming power of the Spirit and a new life in Christ, my new spirit man knows that I'm not a slave to sin anymore or to fear or any kind of other bondage that I used to live in. There's a quote that I, I want to read real quick um, by Bill Johnson. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't read this book, get this book. It's called Face to Face with God. It's, it's really awesome. But he says this. The reason we don't automatically get it, he's talking about, seeing in the Spirit, getting the Spirit, is that we have to receive a divine grace from God in order to see things from His perspective. This process of perceiving and coming into agreement with God's perspective is called repentance. Most of us usually associate the word with being sorry for our sin, and this is appropriate. Scripture tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but being sorry is not repenting. We repent when our sorrow over sin leads us to a place where we receive the power from God to change the way we think. 
We may be able to, to change what we think about, but only God can give us a new perspective on reality. In particular, only God can build a paradigm in our thinking in which we live for and from a relationship with him instead of going through religious motions and being constant or content simply to know about him. He's saying the way that we change our minds is a constant, is a repentance that only comes from God himself to change what we do, to change the way we feel, and to see from the perspective of heaven. What I wanted you to understand there, the perspective, seeing from the perspective of heaven is always recognizing his love for you and walking in response to that, knowing who you are in Christ. If I have one prayer for us as a church is that we would live knowing who we are in Christ and seeing from the perspective of heaven, not from the perspective of the flesh. God has always desired for you to have relationship. I know these are some, these can be very difficult things to understand. And if you're not understanding what I'm saying this morning, then this is what you, what you should do. Pray that God gives you a new spirit and opens your eyes to the spirit. Because he even talks in the scripture that to the world, nobody's going to understand any of this. It all doesn't make any sense. But when you've been born in Christ, every, all this makes sense. So for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's because your spirit's come alive. You've been born in the, in the spirit. For those of you who have no clue, I'd love to talk with you. The biggest thing you can do is pray that God opens the eyes of your spirit so you understand these concepts. Okay? I'm, I'm sorry if it, does, if it missed you this morning. I'd love to talk with you. But for the rest of us... We constantly have to become aware that the spirit, we got a new spirit, and we have to put our place in a, in a, a position where we can see from the perspective of heaven. I want to see life. I want to see the people that I meet. I want to see the hurts that come into my life. I want to see my angry boss. I want to see my angry relative. I want to see that car accident that I was in. I want to see all these bad things through the perspective of heaven and not the perspective of my flesh. I want to see who I am. I want to see my, my failures and my accomplishments through the perspective of heaven, not through the perspective of my flesh. Because when I do that, I'm able to live like Christ. Kevin talked about living like Christ. He looked at us and said, I think you can become like me. I know you can become like me. And when he said that, he said he was implying that we would know the Father the way he knows the Father. We can only do that if we, one, know that he loves us, and two, we'll have a spiritual rebirth in our hearts living life by the spirit we've been looking at our in, in two of our home groups we've been looking at the book of Galatians and the whole thing is Paul coming into the church of Galatians and saying who tricked you into going in back into legalism or works or conceptual ideas of how to get God to love you who tricked you into this don't you know that you were you were born the spirit started the work that you were born, you were born again because of Christ's grace not your own work Galatians is all about walking in the Spirit. He says, Christ became the curse, so you didn't have to do the whole wall thing and become the curse. Like, stop living in the flesh, live and perceive things through the kingdom. In chapter 4, he talks about us being adopted as sons and daughters and having the inheritance of the kingdom. And he says, but don't, don't you know that you're not slaves anymore? This is a spiritual re-understanding, realignment in, in the way we, per, we perceive things. In chapter 5, he tells us to walk by the Spirit. I want to encourage you this morning that, that you are more spirit than you are flesh. And I'm praying that God gives us all a new birth in the Spirit to where we see things through the kingdom, 
we see people, we see ourselves the way he sees us. We can walk like Jesus walked and not have any fear or insecurities. You, you can live your life without any fear and insecurities. I'm telling you this is fact. If Jesus prayed it for us, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a good prayer. If Jesus prayed it, I'm pretty sure it happened, right? Sometimes we doubt our own prayers. I can't doubt Jesus' prayer. That's his prayer for us, that we would have intimate relationship, and that's what I want. I want to walk in intimate relationship with him. I want to encourage you this morning, as we go into worship and stuff, and as we go through the rest of this week, don't live your life on this, like, first date mentality. Like, oh, I heard about God, so I know God. Don't, don't, live, don't live with that perspective. Let's live with the perspective, like, I... When, when Ash and I first started dating... I remember working, I, I worked for a, a, um, this borough in a small town where I would do trash, I was a garbage man, I would mow bu- baseball fields, I would do like black topping and street work and all that grunt work that a city does, right? And I remember coming home or coming into the break room, I would check my phone to see if she'd text me, to see if she had messaged me something. I would text her, hey, are, what's, what's your plans for tonight? Can we, can we do something? Like when, when you're dating, like every day revolves around when's the next time we can get together? When's the next date? When's the, oh, you have a half hour before you go to work? I will drive 45 minutes for your half hour so that we can sit there and talk about nothing, absolutely nothing important. Because when you're dating, you see like, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's all about relationship. It's all about building that and growing together and it's exciting and fun and sometimes when we don't think that way that's when marriages fall apart that's when marriages lose that spark or that that intimacy that friendship that excitement when we don't view our our time together as precious when we don't do that with god that's when our relationship becomes religion when we don't see that next, God, when's that next moment I get to spend in your presence and feeling your love? When's that next moment that we get to talk and we get to worship and that I get to, to share you with somebody? When, when we don't feel that in our heart, when our spirit hasn't been reborn, that's when all of this is religion and not relationship. It really is him wanting us to know him intimately. I hope, I hope this is stirring somebody because... It stirs me. So I'm preaching to myself this morning. I got a mirror up here you can't see. I look at me every once in a while and say, Christ, the fullness of God, dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in me. That's what I look at when I see myself in the mirror. That's what I have to look at. Whatever happened yesterday, this morning, last week, whatever stupid thoughts I thought of, that's what I have to look at and see. I see Christ in me, the hope of glory, the glory of God the Father in me. That's what I want you to see. I, I don't really have a mirror up here if you were looking for it. But like, I hope you, when you look in the mirror, that you, you get excited about the glory of God gets to dwell through you. Every relationship, every experience. He says, I, I pray this for them so that the world will know me, that they would glorify you, that they would see your love. This is my prayer for them. This is the prayer for us. Jesus says, I want you and I to know him so that everybody else knows him. That's what it's all about. We can stop searching. We can stop looking for the, what, what's the next formula, what's the next thing. It's his presence, it's his love, that's it.